It's me, David Webb, and here's a highlight from today's show on Sirius XM Patriot. Earlier in the show, I talked about the first of what are now three uh, migrant caravans and a part of a larger caravan that's moving from Honduras towards the U.S. border. Let's not kid ourselves. The goal is not to stop in Mexico, although some do. Then we have a Biden transition official telling NBC News that migrants hoping to claim asylum in the U.S. during the first few weeks of the new administration, and I quote, need to understand they're not going to be able to come into the United States immediately. I think the word immediately is important there. And those who are organizing these caravans, they're not amorphous events that just spring up in some part they are, are demanding that the Biden administration honor what it says are commitments, commitments to the caravan moving north. This being backed up by groups like Pueblo Sin Fronteras out of Chicago, who promote open borders, amnesty for illegal aliens. And within all of this, we can talk about the resource issue, the size of the illegal alien population, the various areas of the world that they come from. This is not just about south of the border. That is the biggest optics, if you will, on this. But what are the real numbers? The idea that there should be amnesty for 11 million presents the idea that a number that has been used for over a decade is for a population that never grew that never expanded. So my first question before we dive into the various policy angles for my guest, Laura Reese, Senior Research Fellow for Homeland Security at Heritage, is do we even have an idea of the number in its present day? Good morning, David. Thanks for having me on. And no, we do not have an accurate number of who is currently here in the country illegally. And that's intentionally so by groups on the left. Uh, They like to blur the line between legal and illegal immigration. And uh, if they don't consider immigration to be illegal, then they certainly don't want numbers expressing the size of that. Um, So, yeah, the number range that we continue to see in print is anywhere from a low of 11 million to upwards of 22 million or more. See, and this is part of the language distraction and deflection that goes on. Our policymakers, uh, Lori, are not, they're not being honest with us about this, are they? No, I mean, I worked on uh, Capitol Hill many years ago and I on the House Immigration Subcommittee, and we tried many times to get numbers around uh, the size of the illegal population, and the um, obstruction of that is the ways that they do it are, are countless. Um, whether it's, well, we don't collect the data or it's too difficult to... Um, kind of crunch the numbers or, you know, or, or, or many, many reasons. And it's extremely frustrating and it, and it continues. And I think 
part one, just one part of the issue, if you look at how immigration is managed in the federal government, it is spread over many departments, Homeland Security, Justice Department, HHS, State Department, et cetera. And that aggravates this inability to get a, a good grasp over the size of the problem. Is this a case, uh, Laura, and, you know, you and I have had these conversations where we keep expanding uh, the various tentacles uh, to this. But is this a case of making a problem too big to fix? Therefore, the fix that's available is to grant this comprehensive slash amnesty, and it's supposed to magically go away. Well, it wouldn't magically go away because illegal immigration begets illegal immigration. And if you continue to hold out green cards or even the promise of green cards, then your next caravan forms and it doesn't stop. Um, It is a tremendous problem. And the Trump administration made many changes in the right direction to um, crack down on fraud. Um, But... The border is is not completely secure. You know, he built 450 miles of of new wall. Um, You never heard about the northern border or visa overstays. So there are so many different facets to this problem. It is very, very large. And the talk by Biden's campaign and now the transition just uh, breaks open the problem even more so. Yeah. Just to, and by the way, I meant too big to fix as in, (laughs) not in a good way, but uh, the way some see it. So the only answer is that, and it doesn't fix the problem. Is there any growing or serious recognition of the resource issue that this presents for the nation when it comes to illegal immigration? And I, I, like you, look at this in its complexity, whether it's illegal aliens from uh, from the Asia, from Asia, from Africa, from south of the border, or visa overstays, whatever it is, eventually that becomes both a resource and a cost. And a cost, of course, affects resources and those that have to pay for the existence of those resources, programs, food programs, education, medical care, and so more. Where are our lawmakers uh, looking who would look at this honestly and is or is it just ideology driving this well there are various studies out there uh trying to measure the the true cost um and some are more comprehensive than others um and it is a tremendous cost and unfortunately um, I think Joe Biden is, is, and his administration is going to increase that cost considerably. Um, instead of addressing the problem, just for example, for Central Americans coming up here outside of our borders and kind of pushing the borders out, his posture is to let them in and then process them. Um, last week, Kamala Harris gave an interview to Univision and talked about increasing the number of immigration judges to uh, deal with the backlog of, of cases that are in court. But if you're just going to let all these people in only to process them, not only are you not going to get a handle on the court backlog, you're just going to keep adding to it. And it's kind of a fool's errand and a financial bottomless pit. 
Isn't that just a deflection by her, however? Because let's look at the reality that when you do the catch and release program, the percentage of those that return for their court appearance, they disappear. We're balkanizing the country with illegal aliens. And they the percentage that return is, well, minimal. Yeah, the uh, Department of Homeland Security just put out a very good report on December 31, which I would commend to your audience. Uh, it's called the DHS FY20 Enforcement Lifecycle Report. And in it, they looked at uh, encounters from... 2014 to 2019, and they found that, for example, 98% of aliens who were continuously detained were removed. But if you're allowing numbers in that exceed the number of detention beds, then yes, we're going to return to a catch and release posture, and many of those never appear in court. Um, So, for example, DHS found that of the 3.5 million Southwest border encounters during those five years, half were repatriated and about half have no confirmed departure. So let's look at some other aspects of this uh, that we really need to pay attention to and where we are now on, you know, a future with what I would call unfettered illegal immigration. And I'm looking at a labor force component here. Uh, When you broadly examine uh, much of the illegal population in the United States, less education, if any education at all, they compete for those Americans, those uh, who are here in America, uh, at a lower level for jobs, whether it's day laborers to whatever. And I'm not saying that some aren't very well educated because we've seen that, but that's That's not the bigger problem. An oversupply of labor will affect those Americans that the Democrats tell us they care about. Doesn't mean, you know, it's MLK Day, so we could default to the obvious. I began talking about the black community. Uh, But even as that begins to see a reduction in employment, there are areas in America where unemployment based on economic levels is extremely high. And now they will have to compete for those jobs. That's right. I mean, we just saw the um, unemployment claims jump here in the U.S., and it is also the driving factor of these caravans coming up from Central America. I mean, their economies have also been racked by COVID, and um, so it's it's drawing them up here. And so you are um, greatly increasing the, the demand um, for jobs. And one example I, I you know, tend to point to is you, you didn't hear a lot about worksite enforcement during the Trump administration, um, but one example occurred in uh, Mississippi in 2019. It was uh, several chicken processing plants that were in black and impoverished communities, and um, those uh, processing plants were had hired illegal immigrants, and the, you know the Americans in those communities needed those jobs. They wanted those jobs. And so it is absolutely false to say, you know, these are jobs Americans won't do or aren't willing to do. Um, when there is cheaper labor in the mix, unfortunately, you know, too many employers are going to go that route and at the expense of uh, Americans getting back to work. Let's draw uh 
resources down to a really granular level, call it Main Street or maybe the side street off Main Street or the alley here, Laura, and frankly, not much of a joking matter at all. For those that require more resources, as in uh, whether it's food support, uh, education, health care, et cetera, that falls back on right back on the backs of the taxpayers in this country at every level. So the resources are diminished, but the cost for those increased uh, resource needs are being paid by the very people being out or displaced by the oversupply of labor and the companies and the individuals who pay our higher tax numbers. So, I mean, this is a cycle of economic stupidity. I have no other way to put it. Yeah, you're right on the resources, whether it's, you know, public schools, oversized classes, too few teachers, uh, the need for English as a second language, um, hospitals, I mean, you name it, all the way down to overcrowded roads, use of parks. I mean, there's many, many uh, types of resources that uh, get drawn on, and you're right, at the taxpayer expense. And um, given our, the way our tax system is set up, it's, it's on the backs of a, a limited uh, population or percentage of, of, of the taxpayers. All right. Now, you wrote a great piece, and I want to go to that. And I, 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 I appreciate the fact that you give us the time here to, to talk through these issues. Uh, a brand new op-ed with former DHS Oversight Counsel Mike Howell. Uh, and it, the focus on the Senate in the coming migration crisis, uh, the thrust of the piece, you cover a number of things there, but the real thrust and the new information you want Americans to pay attention to. Yeah, the point is that we are going into a single party leadership. Um, and with that, the Democrats are going to be able to um, implement their immigration agenda, and it is a radical immigration agenda. We are talking open borders. And while uh, Joe Biden has said, "Mm, we're not going to open the the southwest border on day one, we're talking six months, no one should take comfort in that delay because uh, his administration will be under extreme pressure from the radical left uh, to open that border and open it now. And with Congress... Fortunately, they have not been able to pass a major immigration bill since 1996 because they're so split, and any immigration bill quickly becomes a thousand-page bill and it dies of its own weight. And so this Congress is extremely split, um, so I'm not anticipating them um, suddenly able to pass an immigration bill unless, of course, they end filibuster. That that is a, a possibility. Um, but otherwise, I think we're going to be looking at Joe Biden doing a lot of executive actions similar to uh, President Obama and President Trump. Right. So no solutions, no legislative action of any means and a continuing problem. Uh, Lori, you and I, as I repeatedly say at the end of our interviews, will have a lot more discussions about this. But I really appreciate the work that you do at Heritage and the information you bring here. Well, thank you very much for having me. 
All right, we'll pivot right now. We'll just take it to the bottom of the hour, guys. Uh, joining me, Representative Matt Schaefer from Texas's 6th District. Texas, of course, being one of those border states. Representative Schaefer, thanks for joining me this morning. Hey, thanks for having me. Y'all having a great discussion on uh, border security and immigration. So let's add to that. Uh, and you heard some of the points in the discussions around resources uh, around the economics of this. And as someone who lived in Texas for close to a decade, I, I have seen this from the 90s, from the mid-90s when I began going to the border and reporting on this, to where we are now. This problem has grown significantly. It has been embedded in our culture, our politics, and our economics. So starting with the state level, and then we'll get into your sanctuary bill, uh, not pro-sanctuary, of course, but starting at the state level, where do we begin to address the problem effectively? Well, it's very expensive for the state of Texas because you're talking about significant problems with human trafficking uh, and massive amounts of uh, drug operations that we deal with on the southern border. Each uh, of the last several sessions, uh, the Texas legislature has had to allocate $800 million each budget to additional DPS troopers uh, to provide resources along the border, above the river, uh, and on the river. Uh, You know, and it's gotten worse uh, even this fall into October and November. You know, we had... We had some weeks in, in October and November. We were, you know, well over seven, eight thousand illegal aliens apprehended along the Texas border per week. I mean, per week you have thousands come, being apprehended. And I've talked to some uh, of our security officials who say, for every one we apprehend, two are getting through um, and, and getting into the interior. Uh, when you go down to the Texas border, you, you see just how bad the problem is. And it's primarily not Mexicans. It is it is people from Central America that are flooding across. Uh, but we really can't get much help out of the Mexican government. You know, the cartels control vast swaths of, of the country in Mexico. You know, immediately, you know, right across the river uh, in Texas, there are uh, large sections of the country in Mexico that are ungoverned. There is no local police. It is it is a free-for-all. It is a Mad Max type of situation. So we, as Texas taxpayers, we deal with that problem. And, and it really, we get a lot of these folks in some of these northern states that kind of look down their nose at us, uh, you know, about our strong stance on illegal immigration. But we're the ones who deal with it. And it's not just about workers coming across. It, the human trafficking is incredible. The amount of methamphetamines, the, the, the cartels have now industrialized it. They are um, getting uh, precursors a lot of times directly from China. And, you know, it used to be out here in East Texas that you'd have these homegrown meth labs. Well, no more. The, the Mexican cartels have so in, industrialized it that they can do it so effectively and inexpensively that it makes no sense for people to have meth labs out in, out in the woods. It is, it's poison that they're pumping into our country. The, the human trafficking is inhumane. 
Uh, It's unreal. There's chaos. There's not order. Uh, We did need a physical barrier. Absolutely, physical barriers help. Uh, You would even have uh, security officials who are from Democrat uh, political standpoints. They would tell you privately that there are places that we need a physical barrier. But the problem is it does it from privately. It goes up against uh, it goes up against public policy. So let's take this uh, to what just happened and what you are in support of in the Texas House. My guest, Representative Matt Schaefer, a member of the Texas House uh, District six, a 93 to 54 vote. All right. Long party lines. After a battle over sanctuary jurisdictions in Texas, lead us into this and along party lines, given all that you've just said, did those who voted, uh, shall we say, against the ban simply ignore the reality? Um, Yes. Uh, and they ignored their voters, and I can tell you, uh, one of those members uh, lost his reelection uh, in the Republican primary, uh, and that was one of the major issues. Uh, you know, it, it's really uh, the sanctuary cities policies that are some of the big Democrat-controlled areas we're putting in place uh, in Travis County, which is Austin. Uh, it was literally taking criminals that were in the county jail for assault, burglary, drugs, whatever it was. And the uh, immigration officials would come over to the county uh, sheriff's office and say, we need you to hold this person because they're, we believe they're in the country illegally. And they were letting them out on the street. Uh, this was a public safety issue. And I can tell you, I believe it actually crosses party lines. I, I believe that there are Democrats who are reasonable who do not want that kind of a public safety problem. But their votes don't back that belief. And this is where public policy, private statements, private acknowledgement, if it doesn't make its way into good public policy, is a failure. So those Democrats aren't actually in belief if their actions don't follow it. I agree. Uh, and, and they have a political problem uh, within the Democrat uh, Party as well with their, with, their le- with their base who has moved far left. Uh, but thankfully, we did win that vote. Uh, I was one of the primary authors of that. And we, and we now have the strongest sanctuary cities law in the country. Uh, and, you know, we, we've, we now have Democrats who ran uh, in November of last year with the promised goal of overturning that so it remains an issue thankfully we have the numbers to defend that law but what are some of the key provisions now what you're seeing with the caravans moving is they're now hopeful that they're going to get amnesty and citizenship under a president biden let's talk about some key points in this in this bill and enforcement because bills are passed, but then, of course, you run into some of the areas. Now, your district is, you know, out there in Tyler, a little bit different than what I would see in an Austin or in Houston. Uh, so let's talk about key provision and enforcement possibility. So essentially, if, if these policies are put in place by, let's say, the sheriff of Travis County, we now have teeth 
where in the law where we can actually have that person um, arrested. We, we, it would be a criminal uh, violation for that person to um, put the public at risk by turning criminal illegal aliens back out onto the street. So we have strong enforcement ability in the law to hold local uh, law enforcement officials accountable if they try to push leftist sanctuary cities pol- uh, policies. So it's, it's real. This is not a, a toothless bill. Uh, it can actually, it actually works. All right, to use that, uh, I guess, analogy, if you will, Representative Schaefer, uh, Victoria Neve, Democrat from Dallas, right, did score a victory. Her victory is that local entities can prohibit their employees and peace officers from assisting federal immigration officers at places of worship. So, you know, they pull a tooth out of the enforcement that way. Well, that was uh, that was in the bill uh, as the Senate sent it over to us, uh, where, you know, essentially, uh, if you're in the house of worship, um, you know, we're, we're not going to send, uh, you know, armed police officers in there. I, I agree with you, uh, David, you know, that but we weren't going to throw out the baby with the bathwater over that. Um, if I had written that part of the bill, it wouldn't have been in there. Uh, but the policy, the overall policy, which was 99% of the problem, we have eliminated that. So um, to your point, uh, I, I think that that's a, uh, a distinction without a, a real-world difference. I, I don't think it gets them where they want to get. All right. Well, just want to point out that they, you know, and maybe the larger point that in every which way they will find ways to poke holes in this, uh, doing it piece by piece. And as you know, Representative Schaefer, something uh, you have to watch for with the Democrats. Uh, we'll, we'll keep an eye on this, on the developments in Texas. We have migrant caravans heading north. Multiple caravans will be built over the next or created or I guess put together over the next few months. That's expected according to some of my CPB and I sources. And hopefully this this is in some way, some way mitigated by the health concerns, including the possibility of COVID coming across the southern border into Texas. Well, you know, it's it wasn't just COVID. We we have had concerns uh, pre-COVID about seeing uh, illnesses and diseases that had been hadn't been talked about in decades uh, start to return to the United States and being traced back to problems uh, about people coming up from Central America. Uh, so there are legitimate health concerns. Uh, you can also say that when you look at the strain on the hospital capacity in places like El Paso, Texas, uh, the left-wing media will not include in those stories the fact that people that are sick that are showing up uh, at the border checkpoints, um, that the border agents are required by law to provide them medical assistance and take them to the hospitals in El Paso. So, one of the contributing factors to what was happening to the hospitals in the state of Texas was 
international patients that we were being forced by law to care for. Okay, that Which reduces the bed capacity. That would be going yeah. to Texans. Reality is needed even more. Uh, for those Democrats who talk one thing privately and vote on public policy another, they don't get a pass with me because either you make good policy, no matter what you say privately, or you do not. Representative Schaefer, I hope we'll have more of these conversations. These are serious issues. And uh, as a chief architect, to ban sanctuary jurisdictions. Good for you. Thank you. Thank you for having me, David. I appreciate it. You can join me live on the David Webb Show Monday to Friday, 9 to noon east on Sirius XM Patriot 125.